The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. We've been looking together at what it looks like for a believer to suffer for righteousness' sake, to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And the reality is that all of us, if we are the real thing in Christ Jesus, all of us will at some time and in some way suffer for Jesus Christ, suffer for righteousness' sake. But in that suffering, there is always triumph. And Peter is looking now in in verse 18 to drive home this point by using the ultimate example of suffering for righteousness, righteousness' sake and the ultimate example of triumph through suffering for righteousness' sake, as he draws our attention to Jesus Christ. This is the context of verses 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. That there is suffering that will come, and that even though suffering comes, we can know that through that suffering there is triumph, and we can know that As we look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, the ultimate example of suffering for righteousness' sake, and through that, triumph. Now, as I was looking at at this text, specifically verse 18, I was struck by something. You know, in this, this letter that deals with heavy issues, it deals with hard issues, that deals with theological issues, that deals with debated issues. That's next week's sermon. There's all sorts of opinions as to what verse 19 means. But right in the middle of Peter's letter, He goes right back to the most basic of Christianity, and that is the life and death of Jesus Christ. In the midst of of dealing with with hard truths that, that suffering will come, if we desire to live godly lives, we will suffer persecution. If we desire goodness and to honor God and to love God with our lives, we will at some point, in some way, suffer persecution In the midst of this, Peter takes us right back to the most core, the most basic of Christianity, and that is the life and death of Jesus Christ. I was struck by this because it seems at first, at least to me, strange Because Peter has already identified these people that he's writing this letter to as believers, right? I mean, you can remember how he started um, this letter to those who are elect exiles 
of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. He identifies them right from the very beginning as, as elect, chosen by God, Um, unto salvation. He speaks of them as being born again to a living hope. These are people that Peter has identified as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But still, Peter is, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is led to remind them and led to remind us of this core and central truth of the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I was struck by this, and I wondered, why is this the case? Why is Peter taking these, these hearers, these brothers and sisters in these churches who, are, or who seem to already be believers, why is he taking them back to the core truths of the gospel? And in doing that, why is he taking us there? And I was struck by two things. And the first is that we should never assume that we know and we should never assume that our hearers know. Peter is not making the assumption that every one of them who hears this letter or reads this letter or comes across this letter is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not make that assumption. He's writing this letter to churches. This is going to be read in the gathering of believers in churches in these cities. And Peter's assumption is is not that everyone who gathers together on a Sunday morning is a believer. May we not make that assumption either. May we not assume that just because we've attended a congregation, just because we've attended a church for for many years, or we've been baptized, or we're on a Sunday school roll, that we are real and true believers, that we have honestly, deep in our inner being, grasped, the truths of the gospel in such a way that it's led to change in our life. Peter doesn't make this assumption. May we not make this assumption. The second thing is, is that even if we are real believers, we must understand that we can never move past the gospel. You never graduate from it. This is not the remedial course that's required before you move on to other truths and and deeper truths and more difficult truths. The gospel is everything, and it is everything in Christianity. It is everything in life. It is everything that all we are as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ hinges on, and we cannot move past it. We must hear it preached and we must preach it to ourselves on a regular basis. I find myself, as I was, as I was writing this, putting it together, thinking, man, I have preached this so many times. And you think that people are going to come and they're going to sit and they're going to hear and they're going to go, man, I've heard this so many times. Let's get to the good stuff. Did Jesus really go to hell? But that's never where we must be. And if you're wondering what I mean by that, read verse 19. 
We must never think that we've moved beyond the gospel. We must never think that we've moved beyond this truth that Christ also suffered for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. If we're going to understand our lives, if we're going to understand our suffering, if we're going to understand our gathering together, the only way to rightly understand that is through this lens. Jesus Christ suffered once for all the sins of many, the righteous for the unrighteous. And he was made alive in the Spirit. And so in turning our attention to Christ and his triumph, we see in this text three things. The first part of verse 18, and then we'll pick up the last as we cover verses 19, 20, 21, and 22 next week. Here's what we see. Christ suffered sufficiently for sins, four things. To secure our relationship with God. Christ suffered sufficiently for sins to secure our relationship with God. We see that in verse 18 beginning. For Christ also suffered. For Christ also suffered. Peter is saying, you will suffer for doing good. You will. And some of this suffering is from the will of God. That's the end of verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You will suffer for doing good, but it is okay And it is expected because Christ also suffered in doing good and he triumphed. Christ suffered. Christ suffered. That's Peter's simple proclamation. Christ also suffered. But the suffering of Jesus Christ was complete. And what I mean by that is that it was a suffering that led all the way to death. That the suffering that Jesus Christ endured was a complete and total suffering that led all the way to his death. Most all of us here use the English Standard Version of God's Word. That's what I I preach from. Some of you may not. If you don't, there's a high probability that you have a different word there for Christ also suffered. And the word in your translation may be died, for Christ also died. If you are in your ESV, you see a footnote there at the word suffered, the number one that draws your attention down to the footnote where it says some manuscripts died. There, there is... Uh, a level of disagreement as to which word is 
how the word is appropriately translated, which word is, is used here for Christ suffered or Christ died. Some manuscripts say suffered, some manuscripts say died. Here's the point. When we see this and it says, for Christ also suffered, what Peter means is in that is that Christ suffered all the way to death. That he endured the greatest possible suffering for righteousness' sake. A suffering that leads to death. So that when we are called to suffer for Jesus Christ, we can know that we're not doing anything that he has not done. Even if this suffering leads to our death. We have a, a Savior who has suffered in every way that we've suffered. We cannot go beyond his suffering in our life because there is no beyond his suffering. He suffered unto death. He suffered unto death. For Christ also suffered. And what we can know is that even if there is suffering for Christ that leads to our death, it is a suffering that will eventually lead to our triumph. Apostle Paul understands this as he writes that for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. He understands that if there is a suffering that comes in his life that leads him to the point of death, and there was, that even in that suffering and even in that death, there is for him gain. There is triumph in a suffering that leads to death. Paul wrote it this way to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and my time and the time of my departure has come. This is, this is Paul speaking of his suffering for righteousness' sake, a suffering that includes both persecution and a suffering that includes exhaustion as he gives all he's got for the sake of the gospel. That he is being, his life is being poured out as a drink offering, as a sacrifice. It's being poured out and the time of his departure, the time of his death has come. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What's Paul saying? That even if the suffering that he's endured up until this point continues and grows to a level where his life is taken, that that suffering is okay because after that suffering, there is triumph. There's a reward. There's a blessing. There's a crown that will be his from Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ and our suffering leads to death, we can rest assured that there is a triumph that awaits us because Christ Jesus is our example and he suffered completely to the point of death as he gave his life on the cross. 
Christ suffered, but he suffered sufficiently. Look at the next word. For Christ also suffered once. Once. Christ's death and his alone was sufficient. It is able to totally and completely satisfy the wrath of God so that there is now no more need for ongoing sacrifices. That's what Peter means. For Christ also suffered once. That Jesus Christ's death on the cross was enough to cover all sins of all people. It was completely and totally sufficient. Now, this was important for Peter to remind his readers. It's important for us to be reminded, especially them, because many of these were people of Jewish ancestry who had been scattered in the dispersion to these other cities. And so they had a, a grasp of the Old Testament. They had a grasp of, of Judaism and the sacrificial system that God um, engaged and employed, used in the Old Testament. And so they would have understood the sacrificial system in the Old Testament where regularly families would come to the house of God, bringing with them an offering to be given to the, to the high priest to enter into the Holy of Holies and for him on behalf of them and their family to offer up sacrifices unto God for the forgiveness of their sins. They, they understood this. Over and over they would come and over and over the high priest would enter in. And over and over again, the high priest would offer sacrifice. And over and over again, he would walk out knowing that no sooner does he pass the door than that sacrifice is needed again. Because it was never sufficient. It was never enough. It was always limited. It was limited to one person or to one family in one place at one time. What God was doing in the Old Testament through the sacrificial system was He was showing His people first the penalty of sin. That our sin is an offense to God and His righteousness. And our sin separates us from Him. And our sin earns the just wrath of God. And our sin brings death. That's what we read today in Genesis 3. From dust you came, from dust you will return. Sin brings death. That's the penalty. And God was showing his people, your sin deserves, it brings death. And so, offer something in place of your life for your sins not only is there the penalty of sin, but there's the need for a sacrifice. And if you're going to be made right with God, if your sins are going to be forgiven, then there must be a blood offering. There must be a death. And so they would bring these objects, these lambs, 
to be sacrificed for their sins and the sins of their families because that's what God requires. Not only is he showing us the penalty of sin, not only is he showing us the need of sacrifice, but he's showing us the insufficiency of anything other than Jesus Christ. The whole point of the sacrificial system was to show that this is never enough. But God is going to send a sacrifice. God is going to send a lamb. God is going to send a high priest who would give his own life perfect and holy as a sacrifice that is sufficient to appease the wrath of God. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. And it is only needed once for all. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 7, starting in verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Our high priest is not like those high priests. Our high priest has no need to continue to offer sacrifices because our high priest is the great high priest. Our high priest is the holy high priest. Our high priest is the the Christ, right? For Christ also suffered. You, You realize Christ, it's not his last name. That's not Jesus' last name. That's Jesus' title. That he's the Messiah. He's the promised one. And Christ is the great high priest who offered sacrifices once for all. When he offered himself up. He's not sitting at the right hand of God offering himself over and over again as a sacrifice. He is the sufficient sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 24, for Christ also entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ suffered sufficiently for sin. This is the way Peter says it. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous For the unrighteous. Jesus Christ in his suffering that led to death. That sufficiently paid the price. Paid the penalty for sins. Suffered for sins that were not his own. Because Jesus Christ was perfectly sinless. 
Peter's already told us this. 1 Peter 2, verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was perfect. He was blameless. He was holy. Yet he suffered for sins. He gave himself sufficiently as a sacrifice for sins. Even though he had committed no sin, he not only suffered for sin, but the scriptures tell us he became sin. It's the 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made Jesus Christ sin even though he knew no sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus not only suffered for our sin, he not only died for our sins, but on the cross, Jesus Christ became our sin. So that through the cross and his sufficient sacrifice, we could become His righteousness. This is the great exchange that takes place by faith through Jesus Christ on the cross. The one who was perfectly righteous became sin so that the ones who are totally sinful can become His righteousness. This is what Peter says. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. His death was needed because the cost, the penalty, the wages, the results of our sin is death. And he died in our place so that we might live in his place. That's what happens on the cross. Your sins deserve, your sins have earned Your death and the righteous judgment of God, the righteous wrath of God, that's what your sins have earned. That's what my sins have earned. Yet Jesus Christ stepped in, entered into our place and became our sin so that God could, on the cross, pour out His full wrath on Jesus Christ, so that our sins would be covered by His death and His life and righteousness be given to us. Jesus Christ suffered sufficiently for our sins to secure our relationship with God. Peter says it this way, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. Us, who is this us? This us is those who believe. While Jesus' death, while his sacrifice 
was sufficient enough to cover every sin of every person who has ever lived. It is not universal. It is not automatic. While it is sufficient in its ability to forgive every sin, it is limited in its application to only those who believe. To only those who believe. That is the us, those who believe. The us is the elect. That's who Peter's writing to. To those who are the elect exiles. The us is those who were and who are born again. The us is those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring those who believe to God. To God. Because of Christ's sufficient suffering, there is now access where there was once hostility. There is now a way where there was once a wall. This word for bring here is an amazing word that he should bring us to God. This is the idea of someone who has been charged with, who's been given authority and who has the ability to bring someone into the presence of a king. That's what it means, right? You, you don't just waltz into the presence of a king. It doesn't happen, right? We don't, we don't have kings here, praise the Lord. We have presidents. You, you cannot just decide that you will just enter into the presence of a president, right? You can try. You can, you can head up to Washington, D.C., and you can think you can get in there, and you can try your best to get into the Oval Office, but you're not going to make it. Guess what will happen? You will face hostility. And you'll face it in a hurry. We just want to see the president land in a helicopter. And we, I thought they were going to handcuff us and drag us off of that. You got to get back. That's not far enough. Keep going. But see, there are those who have been granted the authority, who have been granted permission to be able to bring people into that presence, right? So it wasn't in their days as they had kings. You couldn't just enter into the presence of the king. There's hostility there. There's a separation there. But there is someone who has the authority, who has the ability to bring you into the presence. This is who Jesus Christ is. He is the one who has the authority. He is the one who has the ability to bring us into the presence of God. He is the one who has the, the ability to disarm the hostility and to usher us into the presence of God. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
He is the way. Jesus understands that he is the only way. That there is no way for us to enter into the presence of God, to be connected to the presence of God, to enter into a right relationship with God than through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. And the reason why he's the only way is because he is the only one whose sacrifice was sufficient for the sins of the world. Now, he is the one who ushers us into the presence of God. This is symbolically what was shown as Jesus gave his life on the cross and the veil that separated the presence of God from the people of God was torn from top to bottom. It was a symbol to show that now there is a way where there once was a wall. That the dividing line has been removed because now there is one who is able to bring us into a relationship with God. And it's Jesus Christ, the suffering Savior of the world who died, who suffered sufficiently for the sins of the world, the righteous one for unrighteous ones, so that he could bring us to God. Now, how do you get there? How do you come to him? You come to him first by humility. A humble heart that realizes that we are sinners. And our sin has earned the just wrath of God. And our sin has separated us from God. God perfectly holy. Us completely sinful, unable to have relationship with God because of his great holiness. That's who we are. A humble heart acknowledges and realizes our sins. I am a sinner. We get to him through humility first. We get to him through faith. A faith that says that Jesus, even though he was sinless, became sin for me. That's faith. I believe Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless son of God, became sin for me. Humility says I need that. Faith says I believe that. We get to him through humility, we get to him through faith, we get to him through repentance that says, my sins paid for on the cross, my sinful life now exchanged for the righteousness of Christ. And so I decide to die to myself, to forsake my sins to turn from my ways and to live for Jesus Christ. 
That's repentance. How do we get to them? We get to them through humility. We get to them through faith. We get to them through repentance. And we get to them through trust. That says there's absolutely, just as we sang, there's absolutely nothing that I can do to earn the way. There's absolutely no way I can on my own, scale the wall. There's no way I can appease the hostility. There's no way I can earn the forgiveness. No gifts I give. No suffering I could suffer. No service I could render. No good life I could live that would ever make a way because there is only one way and that way is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, not one person, comes to the Father except through Him. We trust that. That means we lean all we've got on Him and we trust nothing else. We don't trust our righteousness. We don't trust our good works. We don't trust our uh, religion and how religious we are. We don't trust in sermons that we've preached. We don't trust in songs that we've sung. We don't trust in money that we've given. We trust in Jesus Christ alone, the sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. And when we do that, Christ says, you can come. You can come. And you can find forgiveness and you can find rest and you can find restoration and you can find a relationship with God that doesn't exist outside of me. As we come to him in humility and in faith and in repentance and in trust, this is what God does for us in Jesus Christ. May we never assume that that's happened automatically. But would we over and over again submit ourselves to the gospel that says Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. I need it every day. I need it every day. If you never put your trust in Jesus Christ in that way, then today is the day. Humble yourself. Put your faith in him. Repent of your sins and trust him as your savior. And you are able to enter into the presence of God. This is what we will today as a church remember. This is what Christ calls us to remember as he gathered together with his disciples in the upper room, just moments before he would enter into this suffering that led to death, this sufficient suffering for the sins of the world. And he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. So often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, he said, this is my blood, poured out for the sins of the world. As often as you take of this, would you do it in remembrance of me? And so this is what we want to do today as we come to the Lord's table and we take of these elements as we join in to what Jesus Christ himself ordained for his 
followers to do, this practice that has happened from that day until now through his people. We join in with all of it to say, Jesus, we remember and we with humility believe, repent, and trust in the sufficient sacrifice of our sins body broken and blood poured out so that we could, by your grace, be brought into the presence of God. If you've never taken communion with us, here's what you need to know. First, this communion table is open to anyone who has put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not have to be a member of this church to take communion here. You just have to be a member of the church, the body of Christ. You must have put your faith in Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, we invite you to come. We invite you to come. What we ask is that you come and you take these elements and return to your, to your seat. And, and while you're there, you just privately and inwardly Remember the sacrifice of, of Christ and use this as, as a time, as a moment for you to once again come to God in humility and faith and repentance and trust and to confess your sins before the Lord and know that there is grace beyond grace and forgiveness beyond forgiveness from the suffering Savior. And then when you are ready, you take up those elements on your own or with your family. We don't do those in, in unison. You do them as you are ready. And if you're here today and you can't do this because you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, in just a second, we're going to stand and we're going to come forward and some will come and take elements, and I welcome you to stand and come forward. But instead of coming to, to these elements, just come see me, and I'd love to tell you how you today can experience the grace of forgiveness offered only in Jesus Christ. And you can have your sins forgiven, and you can have your relationship with God restored by faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.